Happy holidays, everybody. I'm Charlie Teal, your host from the Call to Create podcast. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be sharing uncut live streamed interviews that we conducted back in October at the Ben Film Fest. We sat down with filmmakers, directors, producers, actors, and we had fascinating conversations. First up, we have Alex Kreswick, the producer of The Blackout. the producer of the feature film the the blackout she also told me that she is an agent of chaos oh that's very true so so this is going to be an interesting conversation so we we will go wherever things take us i guess so can't wait so alex thank you for being here and i'm so excited you get to be our first live streaming guest on the show that's so exciting it's very cool just set the bar for chaos so 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 like everything will be just downhill from here i guess so we'll see what happens or uphill you know if i'm age of chaos let's go for both yeah or sideways (laughs) you know whatever so first i i do want to start with i want to i want to know a little bit about the film and how it came about and let's start there and then we can branch out into anything that strikes your fancy yeah, so um, the blackout was very much a labor of love for me and my director Daniela, who's uh, been here. We've been enjoying the Ben Film Festival so much. Uh, we're just having a great That's time. Cool. Great. Um, it was uh, we shot we shot it almost three years ago. It's okay. a partially improvised narrative feature. So we had a script man that was about like. 40 to 50 pages that just had the overarching story that we wanted to tell. Okay. Um, and we had a few lines or suggestions like, here's what we want to concentrate on the scene. Big ensemble cast. And we uh, shot it over 12 days, so two weeks. Okay. And it was one of very rewarding, great learning experience and something so special because our cast still talks to each other. They started this oh, massive, cool. like we have a core of about eight people in the movie and they all got on a group text that to my knowledge is still ongoing (laughs) which is like three years later they're still they're still all texting each other and they're still friends and like you can i watch them on social media and i'm just like oh you guys you still like each other so we did something great (laughs) right yeah well and wasn't that like the the theme of the film is human connection Mm -hmm. and yeah, in that person-to-person, actual physical presence yep. with other human beings. Yeah, and what it what it is to sort of put down your phones and actually like be present in the moment, mm-hmm. um, because it takes place during and set during 2012 and the Hurricane Sandy came through New York and uh, everyone thought that it was just going to be you know this is another Irene. People said it was going to be bad and it like barely rained. Right. And then they realize, oh no, this is actually serious. And the blackout happens and when the lights go out, like. Every, everyone talks about how things get different when the lights go out. Like people start behaving a little bit differently. You have nothing to distract you when it's night. You can't really read. You can't really do anything. You have to just talk to other people. Right, right. And so it's really about not only that, but sort of you start sort of trusting other people. So everyone in our movie has a secret. And when we sent out the scripts to the cast members, everyone got their own script with their secret in their it. Their secret, okay. So they didn't know each other. Uh, they didn't know each other's secrets when they went through and did it. And there is, it's it's such a beautiful little movie because it's like nothing. I'm so I'm a development exec by trade. I'm okay. very into story. I'm very into like tight stories and mm-hmm. doing all that. And so doing a completely improvised feature was such a such a difference for me because you can't control the story there. Right. You're sort of, as, as on set, I was watching it like, okay, so we actually need a moment here. We need like a line here. We need to hit something. Or sometimes Danielle and I would sort of put our heads together and I'd be like, so what if we take this hurricane metaphor and we make like this character hurricane? And so we were doing that on set. So you're writing on set, but then the actors are doing something so completely different that you don't really know what it's going to look like. So we ended up with two editors, and both of them had documentary experience and oh, unscripted okay. experience. Okay. Because no shot was the same. Right, right. No tape was the same. <laughs> right. And it's really hard to have match takes when they're not when the same. nothing. So the same. it was such a good challenge that required so much collaboration between all of us. And we got something that I think is like really special, and it... I call it a symphony. It doesn't do a three-act structure where it kind of rises and then falls or anything. It's more of just like moments over the course of the night that come together as a whole. 
in a very symphonic way. So, wow. And, and where did the, the genesis of this idea come from? Like, were you or was someone on your team in New York when Sandy hit? Or was that just an no. idea that gave you the structure to play with human connection? That's pretty much what it was. It's a very much Danny's brainchild. It very much came from someplace deep in her she wanted to. Danny's so good at drawing out the emotionality of people mm -hmm. and creating these very, very real human moments between two people and um, very good at just keeping them grounded and making you really sit in them and feel them without it getting too sort of overwrought. Right. And she's excellent at balancing that with people and she really wanted to tell a story about human connection about people specifically where it sort of revolves around three roommates primarily at the core okay. even though it's not like one single person's story we used zoe our sort of main character as it were as the sort of through line okay to because you need something to anchor your story right and this wasn't right. just something where it was like okay here's this person's story and then we're gonna go tell this person's story she, she became our through line, but was very well balanced and didn't take over the movie. And then the next would be these the three main um, characters. And she really wanted to tell a story about these women who had been roommates for a while and were very good friends, but like even they had secrets from each other. Even they had things that they had never told one another. And over the course of the night, each one of them admits to something that they've been like holding very close to their hearts. And it's so wonderful when you do that and we wanted to create sort of a safe space where people were like oh i mean even though you have the secret and it's something that's weighed on you like we still love you right like right. your secrets they don't have to break you and we're here to sort of help you burden like carry the burdens and all that so yeah it was uh very much danny and then i came in and helped her workshop the script meant and we sort of talked about like narratively what would where would should things go got the script down did all the casting. We have just such a talented cast. And in the three right. years since we shot it, many of our cast members have gone on to do some really cool things. Like um, Hillary uh, and Matthews has been on um, Alex Inc. And she has had a recurring role on Modern Family. Nice. Uh, Tess Paris comes from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And she's uh, on an Amazon show where she gets to play a uh, evil witch kind of character. <laughs> and she's having such a good time doing it. <laughs> right, and so it's really right. nice to watch all of those people, like all of these people grow over the right. course while we're waiting to edit this movie and fix right. it. And Danny grew an entirely new human being in the middle of post. <laughs> So we've uh, we've all gone through a lot of changes. Right. So you said you said it was a huge cast. How many people? You said about eight, but it sounds so like our main cast was eight, and um, we told it mostly linearly. So we shot the movie almost straight through, start to finish. There were only a couple of things that we had to do out of order, and at some point we have like at least twenty people in the apartment. <laughs> right. And when you're improvising that dialogue. <laughs> When we got all of when we got our uh, footage to our editor, the editor looked at it and was like, "How much money did you spend on sound?" And we were like, "More than more than we probably should have for this kind of thing." Except it became our saving grace because it helped us. We had three lavalier mics that we passed around from okay. from the cast, and that really helped us be like, "Okay, these are the three people we're sh we're doing in right. this take." Right. Okay. You get two takes, and then we'll switch the mics out. Right. And so that really, that actually ended up helping us structure the movie a little bit. And that was not something that we knew going in. That was just kind of right. something we did instinctively. And our right. sound guy was great. Um, and sound became a really important part of the movie, including we, we wanted the storm, Sandy, as she comes in. We wanted Sandy to be a character in our movie. Right. Okay. And so getting those sounds, those the wind sweeping, all of that, um, we were talking about, we used as our touchstone... Um, Inferno, the mm. movie Inferno, mm. where the the fire is supposed to be alive, and they actually use the roars of animals underneath it to make the fire seem like something is about to eat you. Right. So we were we used that not exactly, but we were like we want to add in sometimes like we had some people doing like sounds in the background to make the the storm seem a little more scary and a little more present. Like a person, like a, yes, like a voice, absolutely giving it a voice, mm -hmm. right. So it's not just a conceptual thing out in the right. background. So. And it was, it was very there. And it ebbs and flows with the tide of the movie in the way that like a storm would. And sometimes when they're very high tension, the storm uh -huh. comes back and like rattles the wall. And there's a part where uh, one of the characters is trying to say something like very deep and meaningful. And 
uh, picture falls off the wall. Completely not something that's scripted. <laughs> the picture literally just fell off the wall during the tape, and she's like, oh. And they kind of look around, and you hear this, like, laughter, and then everyone's laughing, and I was like, oh, that's the perfect way to get out of the scene. It's right. so good. Good job, whoever right. hung up the picture and didn't quite do a great <laughs> job. Picture, Fantastic. Right. Um, could, and that's not something we could have right. done. The other really fun thing was in that same, we basically have like a 26 minute short film in the middle of the movie where each character goes around and tells their secret and we call it the circle of trust scene. Okay. Everyone got one take. Wow. So each one of those confessions, you got one shot and you did it. And there's one where um, one of our actors, uh, Rob Belushi, someone's giving this like very emotive talking about just one of the most painful experiences of her entire mm -hmm. life and there's this moment where everyone's sitting there and you could just tell all the actors are going like what do we do like, <laughs> we don't um, i'm sitting there like i don't know how you get out of this in real life like much less much in less, a way that yeah. makes sense on film and then rob sneezed <laughs> just this moment and then everyone just starts laughing and it's this like laughter of relief and i was like Thank you, Rob, and your nose. Wow. We really, right. appreciate, we really appreciate the work you've done in this instance. And it, when we came to edit it, it was just so perfect and it's such a good human moment. And it fits with his character so well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, right. so there's a lot of little things like that that um, you couldn't script them and right. you weren't scripting them that really, I think, lend a, a certain sense to the movie, like an authenticity that you couldn't... That's why we did this. Right. And so why... Like when, when you're at the concept stage with this film, why did you decide to go unscripted and go with such mm -hmm. an Im improvised style? So we're a low budget um, film. Yeah. And one of the really fun things about doing something that's under a million dollars is you can take risks. Like nobody's gonna come and give us one to three million dollars to do a partially improvised anything. They're gonna be like, so can I see the script? You'd be like, oh there right. is no script. There is Danny's first feature, so it's not like she can she has this like massive body of other right. work. She's she's taking a risk on herself and right. you know asking someone else to take a risk when you when you don't have that behind you is it's scary for other people. So we wanted to do something that was kind of unique that we could get away with um, in a way that we might not be able to even at higher budgets, because that's what you want to you know, escalate and do cool things. So it was just something that we were like, we're not really going to get another chance to do something like this. And it's fun, and we kind of just want to see where it goes. So there's freedom in those lower budgets, even when it's, right. it's hard to do because they are low budget. So there's kind of trade-offs. Uh, I think we all really realized we did something special, and at the very least, we all came out of it like really good friends. And um, we had like on set our makeup artist, this wonderful woman named Mary Han Yi. She had everyone doing things like onesie day. So everyone showed up in a onesie. I went out and bought a sloth onesie awesome. for this day. Uh, we did. She did Star Wars shirt day, and even the thing is like crews tend not to to get in that. Like crews are there to work for the most part. They were still buying into all of this. They were they were wearing their Star Wars shirts and it was really cool to see like bridging the hierarchical gap as it were right. between the different departments and really right. like creating a community behind the camera as well as in front of it, right. which was really cool. So it sounds like this this is a a passionate topic for you for to to create community and mm -hmm that human connection like is that <clears throat> was that the the big draw for you was like oh my god this this is a theme that, is, that you really care about well i mean why else would you make a movie <laughs> if not to connect with other people or to yeah. show someone something that they can't access outside of this i mean this is it's that's why we do this, is to tell stories and to invite people into a place where they might never have gone before. So it was really important to us. Like one of the conversations Danny and I sat down, there's a, um, there's a birth in, in the movie. And that was very important for Danny because she had just had her first child and then you know during, not that she would know it at the time, but then during post she had her second child. So um, she was very much like in, in that mode of thought and we were talking about it. And we had like long conversations about 
when it was originally written, I was like, the way that this kind of goes in the script, it feels like a precipitous birth, which is when you have a baby, like you go into labor and have a baby within about three hours. That's a, it can be very traumatic right. to a woman's body. It gets, I mean, labor gets faster the more kids you have because your body gets used to it. But we, we had these like great in-depth conversations about these things, like nothing that was ever going to make it into the movie, yeah. but it was always on our mind. And like that exchange of information, that sort of us talking to each other is reflected in the movie because, you know, we had to talk to the actors and tell, yeah. explain these things to them. And we didn't have traditional rehearsals because we didn't, there's no script to rehearse. <laughs> so what we did was we got uh, the different groups of actors. Like if we knew one scene was going to be mostly our three roommates, we went out and we did like, drunk painting night. <laughs> so you go out and you paint a picture and you talk to each other and you kind of get a feel, they got a feel for one another so they knew how to play off of each other. And so we were, we sort of did group hangouts like that where we put people in the situations and then Danny would sort of talk to them and take them aside and talk to them about their character and all of that. So um, it was all communication and all talking to each other, which is what the movie's about. And that's, that's ultimately what filmmaking really is, is communicating and talking to each other. I think you were saying when we were talking before, I think you were the one that was saying that this that filmmaking is the most collaborative art form that exists. Name me another art form where you have to rely on other people in order to pull it off. Like anything else you can do individually. Right. You come straight out of your brain onto the paper. Film, you have to you need an actor to interpret your words, a writer to write them down a director to make a picture, you need a producer who's, you know, off making sure everything's lined up and like, as an agent of chaos, I'm very also very good at writing the chaos back in. Like, I know when to let it run free because that's also the thing is like, you never know when a picture's gonna fall randomly off the wall and then actors are gonna do their acting thing and you're like, this is great. I'm gonna get all the credit for this. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I look good right now. Yeah, like, I had know. nothing to do with it. It was excellent. Right. I had everything to do with it. I, I sat there and was like, picture fall off the wall, my book and mind powers. <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, there's something to be said for like the ability to touch people because humans, we are just stories. We're made of stories. We learn in stories. We teach in stories. We're only stories. And when you can control that. somebody for like somebody's attention for like two hours and tell them the story, that's such a powerful, influential thing, which is why people keep talking about representation on screen being so important. Because if you have a world where you only see one certain type of people and you're only seeing that when your attention is directed for two hours at some place, right. you carry that out into the real world. Right. And so it was really important to us as well to make sure that we had a very inclusive cast and um, we did blind casting, but we told our casting directors who were fantastic. Like they helped us find just an incredibly talented group of people that we really wanted to be cognizant of that. And we didn't write any of the roles for any specific race or anything. We just wanted to see the people who were really great with an understanding that we were gonna create a, a beautiful like tapestry of humanity. And in doing this improvised thing, that was so important as well because all the actors brought their own, you know, point of view into that. Um, Tess in particular, like she, she really wanted to work in, she's um, Filipino American and her family, she's from an immigrant family and she really put that in, her character doesn't deal with that much, but she put that into sort of the background and it came out in these like very specific ways as she was talking about her character and it gives her character such depth. And um, same for uh, Brandon Kyle Goodman, who's this just fabulous gay black man. And he plays, um, when he was doing his story, his, sort of his secret and what he was talking about in that moment, he brought a lot of that experience into it. So it was uh, really gratifying to watch all of that work that you did beforehand then pay off on screen. Uh -huh. and, right. Yeah. I, I love what you said about that all we are is story. There's nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. And it's, it's, they're, they're subconscious stories that we tell ourselves. There's the conscious story we tell mm -hmm. ourselves about ourselves. Yep. And why things happen in our lives and how things have happened in our lives. And the way, because mostly what I, what, what I'm the best at is I, I'm a, basically a script fixer and give notes. I'm a development executive. And even like people talk about how like acting is listening, but reading is also listening, mm -hmm. like reading words and seeing 
why did you choose the specific word? Why this character? Why this person in this scenario? And you can read and learn a lot about a person based on what they've written down and how they've written it. Mm -hmm. And that's just stories. There's stories within stories. And so if you have the same story being told over and over, it's the same people doing the same things, you become stagnant, but also that's that you don't know that there are other stories out there. You don't accustom yourself to listen to other people's stories and you don't listen well. If, you're, if you bring your own expectations into something, are you, are you listening to the story that's actually being told or are you, right. are you putting your own words on that story and missing certain points and certain things that right. people are saying? Right. right, if you're not actually listening right. to what the other person is telling you, but you're thinking about what you're going to say or thinking about how it affects your story or thinking about right. putting your own twist on you know, your preconceptions of what that person mm -hmm. may or may not be. And the great thing about film is you can really break those down. Like one of my favorite movies is District 9. Huh. Yes. That movie is incredible. It's incredible. It's like a great story, but it's also incredible because I watched that and my jaw was on the floor. And my friend was like, who I saw it with, was like, that was a really fun sci-fi movie. And I was like, I mean, fun is a word for it. Like, that was all about apartheid. And he went, what? I was like, ooh. Okay, like, we need to have, ooh, a, we need to have right. a sit down and have a quick conversation. Right. But one of the amazing things that that movie does is visually the aliens in it. They are intentionally conceived of and drawn to be as off-putting to humans as possible. Mm -hmm. They have tiny, That's tiny little toy. stock eyes. They're yes. called prawns for a reason. And like, right. shrimp are not warm, cuddly things that you want to yeah. be like, oh, there's my, there's my pet shrimp. I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> you, They've really you, not taken off in the pet market. Right, but you, you're, they intentionally did that so that you physically were repulsed, and by the end of that movie, you're on that guy's side. You're right. like, yes, this is not great. I am for the prawns. I don't want to call them right. prawns anymore. And that's, that's the true genius of that movie, where it takes something that you are just viscerally, instinctively supposed to go, oof, and by the end of it, you're just like, I stand by you, my dude. <laughs> like, yes. And that's the power of film. Right, right. And that's incredible. That, that movie is entirely about your preconceived notions going in and subverting them. And it's not preachy about it or anything, but metatextually. Right, that's 100% right. what that movie is. And like, that's powerful. <laughs> Love that so movie. So it sounds like, I mean, clearly this is, a, this is the, the field you would passionately pursue no matter what. Oh, yeah. I've had these conversations with our friends because this industry is, it's hard. It's a lot of work. There's not really, you never stop being an artist because mm -hmm. this is our art, no matter what aspect of it you are in, it's your art. And so when we have our low periods, because every single filmmaker trying, struggling to like break in and do the thing, all there, the low periods come and sometimes they're, most of the time, they're really, really long and they're much longer and much deeper than sort of the high times. So you have your friends that you talk to, and the question always comes like, well, what else would you do? <laughs> and we just end up sitting there staring at each other, because the answer is just like nothing, but like, hmm. Because we could go do other things. Like, we could go into banking and make money and, you know, right. be fine, but, I mean, what else would you do? Right. And there's no answer to that, because it's like, well, this. Yeah. <laughs> this is all I got. And if you so. <laughs> went in the banking or something like that, and be, be like, so at what cost? At what cost to your soul and your spirit? And I have to that? stare at numbers all day, and I really don't like numbers. They, I can't argue with numbers. They just are. <laughs> I really like, I love arguing with people. I love having conversations with people. Um, <clears throat> like that's, I love points that are gray and that you can have different, because right. those point of views, even if I don't agree with your point of view, I still wanna know what your point of view is, right. because it's important for me to challenge my own conceptions and notions, and like really somebody who can sit there and push back against you and be like, but what about this? And I'm like, well, I've thought about this, and here's the oh, answer right. to it. <laughs> or like, wow, I, just, I actually haven't thought about that, and I need to give it more, right. more but like, why do you, like, what about this makes you think that? And that's, that's so important to me, and we do, We've really, I think, lost that ability in our in our culture, in part because we are so polarized. But like, correctly, <laughs> um, we're at, we're in such a crisis point right now that they're the two sides are not equal. They're not the conversations we're having, or like people saying, "Yo, please don't kill me," and other people going, "Yeah, I think you're fine though." Right. There's no right. argument there, unlike like 
what was the conversation I had with a friend where we were trying to argue um, at what point does red become purple? <laughs> What's the conversation right. we were having? And I was arguing like there's no such thing. We've made up those completely distinctions, right? Like that distinction is a completely human-made thing, right? And he's like, no, but there is a point. And I was like, what point is it? And we got into the scientifically of like what what wavelength are we right. going for that right. is red versus purple? But also like uh, the eye concept of blue came up because blue is a very very new concept. We have not had the color blue for a very long time. When you read uh, like the Odyssey or something, they talk about the wine dark sea because they literally didn't have a word for blue. Uh, and but now we do. Right. Blue is everywhere. We love wearing blue jeans. Right. Yes. There you go. <laughs> but can you imagine our world without the color blue? <clears throat> That's like wild. But for so many generations, we lived without the color blue. That's so cool. <laughs> humans are just like humans are wild. <laughs> I, I love I love like watching you light up about like how all of this affects oh everything you know, is interconnected that's the thing that you you really realize is that, like as you go through it I teach at UCLA and sometimes I have trouble trying to con like convey certain concepts because I'm like but in order to really understand this you have to also understand this but in order to understand this you need to understand this and it's like oh so what it really is is everything is a merry-go-round and my job is to slow the merry-go-round just long enough for you to like grab onto it and jump onto it <laughs> okay Be, but you have to get on the merry-go-round yourself and it's not going to slow down to like a stop right and then once you're on the merry-go-round it's like have fun <laughs> it's gonna be great but it's just yeah everything everything informs everything else mm -hmm. and that's sort of the the approach i take to scripts as well right so like right. you can't just throw something in there and then leave it uh, it, right. it needs to be a part of the world you're, you're building. Right. You have to know and be intentional about everything that you're putting in there because you control that world. You control it completely. You're responsible for everything you show us in this world you're going to create for one to two hours and right. take ownership of that. So then, then to bring that back around, since you are, you know, you guys are creating that world in the film with so much improvisation, mm -hmm. isn't there like a tension, a push and pull of like, okay, it sounds like you had some incredible, incredible things happen that fed into the world and made it even mm -hmm. better. But were there things you're like, uh, that doesn't work at all? Or, I mean, how oh, do you... Yeah, Danny and I had long conversations where, I mean, there were things that I advocated, like, I really don't think this works. He's like, yeah, but I really want it in there. And sometimes I would win, but it's not really winning. We would come to an agreement. Right. And, like, it, it comes down to trust and respect. Like, I knew there's a point where I don't want to argue with you anymore because it's going to turn bad. It's going to turn mean. And that's not the point. Like, none of us are arguing this to be mean. We're arguing this. We're all arguing from a place of we want this to be the best possible right. thing. And we're going to disagree sometimes. But that's that's fine. And it's fine that sometimes she was correct and sometimes I ended up being right. correct, but that's not even the right word to use. Or, yeah. See, this is limitation of language. We don't really have a word for, we came to, I guess we just came to a consensus and sometimes my point was the consensus point, sometimes hers was, and sometimes we found a completely separate part of it or like right. a completely different thing altogether or some weird combination of the two. Right. And that's also filmmaking because as somebody who gives notes to writers, the first thing I always tell, I always meet the writers before I give them notes because I get a really good sense of who you are as a person and sort of how to talk to you because part of my job is to facilitate that communication. Um, and so I don't talk to the same people in the same way because it's not necessarily constructive. Mm -hmm. um, and so you, you just end up, I, I always tell them, you don't have to take every single note I ever give you. I'm not gonna sit here right. and read your second draft and be like, mm, didn't take that note, mm, where's that note? And like, right. oh, see, I did that. That's like, not the I'm point. I'm not your sixth grade like English teacher. Right, and, I'm here but to... I'm also, I'm very aware that I'm not always right. Uh -huh. And that's fine. And people seem, people sometimes are very like taken aback, like, don't you wanna be right all the time? Like, no, that seems real boring. Yeah. Also, that's a, that's a lot to put on me that I would really, I would really like to not be right all the time. <laughs> But you, I always make it very clear because you do get those development execs that they want to put their thumbprint on to be able to say, I did that. And I think if I can sit there and be like, 
I did that, can you tell? Then I failed you as a project. Right. right. Everything should feel cohesive. And as long as I'm coming from a place of, I just want this to be the best that it possibly can, I think that comes through and people are willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. And like when you mess up or you say something that you either didn't intend or that is like unintentionally um, insulting to someone. Right. If you're coming from that in every other communication you have with them, they're way more willing to both trust you because saying, hey, I'm sorry, this hurt me. That takes a lot of trust mm -hmm. from the person saying that. Right. Or, you know, you it's said this and it, it really rubbed yeah. me the wrong way. It right. takes a lot of trust for somebody to tell you that and... To, to trust you, your response is not going to be like, oh, well, that's not what I meant. Like, they know that's not what I meant, because if they thought that's what I meant, they wouldn't say it in the first place. But giving me the opportunity to be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I will keep it in mind. I will try, like, what about this rubbed you the wrong way? Help me figure out how to be a better communicator with you. Right. I mean, I, that's all, the, when you're collaborating on something and when we get up into the budgets of, like, 50 and 75 million dollar movies. I want everyone to be able to come to me and be like, hey, so this isn't working or I think this stunt is not set up properly and is going to actively be dangerous. There's, there can be a hierarchy on sets where people mm -hmm. don't feel like they can do that or producers sometimes get the reputation of like, you just, you're just about the money, care about the money. When we do our safety meetings, the first thing I say on every single one of my sets is, hi, I'm the producer. Your lives are not worth this movie. If there is something that you think is dangerous or wrong, you come tell me. And every single time I do it, I can see people looking at each other like, what? No one has ever said that to me before. And yet you would think that would be the first assumption, the first position everyone I mean, you'd, should take. You'd hope, like, like, yeah, I'll burn a million dollars on a day if it means that somebody doesn't get their head cut off right. during a stunt and they get to go home to their family right. at night. Like, that's a trade-off that I'm willing to make. <laughs> right. But that's not necessarily the, prev the prevalent feeling of everybody in the industry right. but there are a lot of people right now who are fighting against that and trying to make that the sort of accepted and thing right and we've all kind of collectively are taking these like very big steps within the industry to make a, a safer more collaborative place where everyone can wow. can sort of thrive and you know our stunt people are as protected as we can make them <laughs> so. and so now that you guys have this this feature out there in the world is there is there a plan it sounds like i mean this was three years in the editing mm -hmm. it was three years ago that you said you made this yeah we shot it we shot it in 2017 like right at the end of january beginning of february in 2017 all of these people still stay in touch and they're still connected I know, like so cool i'm sure you guys have talked about like okay what's our next project what are we going to do mm -hmm. next yeah, Danny and I are actually working on a project together. She wrote this just absolutely gorgeous script that's very much based in her own real life, where she grew up with a mother who had a mental illness. Okay. And it's just this, I, I read the script much like when I read this, and I was like, oh, this is never something I've never seen before, because, you know, it's improvised. Of course it's something you've never seen right. before. This is, it's a movie about uh, this woman who, it shows a, her at like seven, eight, in, as a teenager and then as a 20-something, 30-something adult. And the mother stays the same. And you see how yeah. young, the main character's name is Bowie, young Bowie thinks her mom is like, you'll come on the pirate ship with me? Fantastic. And then teenage Bowie is like, I need you to be a mother. I need you to be a parent. Like, I don't mm -hmm. need the friend to go on the wild right. rumpus with me. Right. And she's very, like, that that teenage anger where you're asking for boundaries even though you say you don't want them. Right. And then as an adult who's dealing with the fact that, like, you deeply love your mother, but she wasn't necessarily the mother that you wanted or needed all the right. time. And how as an adult do you deal with that? And it's just the interweaving of those three time periods and watching it, it's just Danny balances it so beautifully in a wow. way where every person that I've sent it to for either coverage or like financing has read it and been like, who's directing this? I was like the writer and they're go, okay, good. <laughs> because you really read it and you're like, ah, you have the person who wrote this has to direct it because it's so right. just, it's so clearly steeped in her own personal lived experiences. And I have to think that's, is that unusual still that the writer is also works or acts as the director as well or is that more common than it's than getting more common okay. in the film industry in part because it can be the I, honestly in getting movies set up and financed and made 
I find the directors are actually the hardest people to attach because once you have a director, this is secrets of filmmaking 101. <laughs> if you can get two creatives in the room together okay. to talk to each other, the likelihood of them wanting, walking out of the room wanting to work to, with each other is like 99%. <laughs> okay. So if you have that one creative, if you have your director. And you're trying to get that second. Yep. I'll just be like, hey, so you read this and you really like it for your actor. Yeah, but I, just just let them let them sit in the room with Danny. Right. Let them sit in the room with the director. And then I'm just sitting there like, one, two, <laughs> there they go. And they're like, oh, we're best friends. We want to work together. This is great. I'm like, yes, okay. You're like, Good. and the magic Good. has happened, right? Haha, <laughs> I have done the thing. <laughs> They're a, a constructed, a, a constructive agent of chaos as well. Yes. Well, I like to when I teach at UCLA, when I really enjoy having the like new minds that get to warp. I'm like, yes, I'm a very good manipulator. <laughs> and watching them be like, oh, that's a bad word. I'm like, it can be. But we're manipulating people's assumptions all the time, from the clothes we yes. wear yes. to the way we do our hair. Yes. I'm manipulating your first view and assumptions about me and so manipulation doesn't have to be a bad thing like obviously right. if you're doing it for bad intents or you're really doing it sure you know in a very non-consensual way but sure. like again i talk to people writers differently based on how i've met them and that is in its own way a manipulation mm -hmm. but it's not to any like bad effect so mm -hmm. this is where i go and like nerd out about words and how we we tend to attach good, bad sort of values to them, which not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. And like language, it's very fun. <laughs> I like it much better than numbers. <laughs> it's fun. I see, I see moments in these converse, in this conversation when it's like, you, you, I can see that light, like spark in your eyes. You're like, this is the thing I get a kick out of. Oh, I love about. it. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. Like manipulation, every Every interaction between two human beings involves some form of manipulation of perception mm -hmm. or... Based on the language we yeah. use, how we talk to each other, even like your body, like you can mm -hmm. angle your body to invite more or get away. And that's, uh -huh. you know, some people respond very stringently to body language where if you like turn away from them, they'll just shut down. Right. And if you know that, you can then manipulate right. that sort of idea. So it's, you know, the manipulation doesn't have to be a bad word, but generally speaking, if we're pulling it out, somebody's done right. something not great. Right. So, yeah, <clears throat> language limiting and just the world is our oyster with it. <laughs> and does that tie into the, the film you were just describing of like the three stages of this woman's growth and how, you know, the manipulation between her and her mother, or is that... Is that a side? Is that not tied? No, that's more, that's more of a trying to show the whole of a person, almost. Mm -hmm. Because in order to, you, to understand someone like truly, you have to understand where they came from, what they've been mm -hmm. through kind of a deal. And so this is showing, you know, your bipolar mother is super fun when you're seven and eight. And like she'll go and she'll be like, you know what? let's not do a pirate ship, let's build a rocket ship kind of a deal. And as your kid, you're like, this is fantastic. Right, like, this right. is really fun. But that kind of an attitude doesn't necessarily carry over when you're a teenager. Like, you need different things. And if you can't get that from them, if you're, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm putting more words into this because the script is its own sort of thing. But then there's the meta text of sort of what we're talking about. That has more to do with, you know, how the people in your life shape you mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the things like you carry trauma that you didn't know because even when you're seven and eight you're kind of aware that like my mom isn't like other moms mm -hmm. I don't really know what to do with that when you're seven and eight you don't have the content the greater world context to really completely understand it but when you start getting in a teenager you start understanding more right you start right. realizing like my mom's not like other moms and it might not be a good thing um, and see, even here, I'm thinking my language, and I'm like, oh, see, I'm putting a lot on moms when we're talking about this, because we're talking about this in the scripts, but that's parents. Like, I mean, what I mean is parents, or your guardian, or, or whoever. Family, I mean. Yeah, your family. Like, we're all products of our family. Right. And we all yes. love our families, but we all, every single person I know has issues with their family of some yeah. kind, because yeah. people who are that deep into you, who have that much to do with who you become as a person, mm -hmm. I mean... Yeah, they're gonna be they're gonna be the people who have affected us the most, and that's mm -hmm. kind of what this is a meditation on. Because, you know, speaking. I mean, again, I feel like I'm speaking for Danny, but 
she loves her mother so much. And you really feel that in the script too. You feel right. the love, but you also feel kind of the frustration and, right, right. and what it's like dealing with someone's mental illness. That's hard. It's a really hard thing. And we collectively as a culture have not been great about giving people the, the tools to do that, to not only deal with it for themselves, but to also have the support to deal with it in someone that you do deeply love. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of all of that is rolled into to the script. It's all part of the conversation. And like, <clears throat> how, how do you how do you reconcile with someone like when they have hurt you so deeply and you love them so deeply and right. man, that's just a potentially explosive combination. And like everyone should go to therapy. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I've learned that. The world this. needs therapy. We all collectively yeah. need world therapy. We need individual <laughs> therapy. therapy. Like, yeah, we should all be assigned a therapist at some point in life. Uh, <laughs> or... I mean, I can't imagine trying to do anything in the film industry without a therapist because it is, again, you're, we're going back to it's our art. We're never not doing things that are in in service of that art mm -hmm. we don't watch tv to turn our brains off we watch tv and i'm like oh this is tv like this is something that i can do i watch tv completely different than anyone in my family <laughs> i occasionally will they'll do something and i'll be like man that vfx was bad <laughs> and my mom's like what vfx and i'm like mom they're in a car behind a green screen right and they didn't even bother to like make the lighting match and i was like right, oh, i don't yeah. see that and I went, okay <laughs> does your family not like to watch tv with you <laughs> oh they actually they they find it very amusing oh. especially because like i i tend to sort of play up and be very dramatic when i'm right, when i'm talking right. about things i try to entertain them while also teaching uh -huh, is uh -huh. sort of my how I like to approach things. Like I like to make it fun even while I'm explaining concepts that right. they might be so dry. But if I can make a joke about it or if I can right. phrase something in a way that you completely don't expect, uh, it's amusing for me to watch your reaction <laughs> and then also amusing for the people who are reacting. And I feel like the students tend to retain a little bit more information in that way. So I just, you know, the world has enough drama and I can at least bring some comedy. <laughs> But so you don't have any friends or family that, like, if you go to the movies with them, they're like, you're not allowed to give any commentary <laughs> through the film. Like, just let me watch the damn movie and enjoy it. No, I try and be judicious in the things. Like, I have, a, I have a bar, the stuff below the bar, I just think in my head, and I'm like, <laughs> or I'll sit there if it's really bad. Man, there was one. I walked out of my first movie since high school two years ago. Uh-huh. And before that, I had my I had a jacket with me, and we were we happened to be sitting almost in the back, and it was so bad that I put my jacket over my head and pulled out my phone, and I was I literally went like this, and I just started texting people like, I cannot believe You're this. Like, this like, is the worst. <laughs> can I describe this shot to you? And so the friend that I went to that with, we got, I leaned over within 60 seconds of the first shot. I leaned over and went, I don't think I like this movie. And he goes, What? Like, and then he started looking at it. Two minutes later, he goes, oh, I don't think I like this movie either. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like, I know. See, I told you. So he got up and he went to the restroom and I was sitting there and this shot happened that just made me so deeply furious <laughs> because it was a pointless shot. It was an incredibly expensive shot. So the producer in me is like, I okay. think you just spent at least a million dollars doing the shot. And it was a shot that pulled out of a window and then went all the way down a series of windows. And then it went and it did a bird's eye view of what should have been a murder scene, except you don't see the bird's eye view of the murder scene. What is the point of that <laughs> shot? All I saw was the top of some balding white dude's head. And I was just sitting there like, oh, I can't do this anymore. So I walked out of the theater and my friend comes out of the bathroom and he sees me and he goes, oh, thank Christ, I thought I was gonna have to go back in there. And I was like, nope, we are going to We're go out. to the bar. We're gonna get a pizza, I'm gonna get a cider, and I'm gonna be really, really mad right. <laughs> that this movie exists. And he, as we swung by, he just stopped by to the staff and he was like, do you think we can get our money back? And the staff looked at him and went, what? And he was like, it was just so bad. And it's not that I want my money back necessarily, it's that I don't want this movie to have my money. 
<laughs> that's how much we both really liked it. And he's not in the film industry. Oh, wow. Yeah. Also, my general, my friends all know that depending on how bad a movie is, what happens is I'll sit there and then I'll slowly start going like this and sinking down. Just sinking down. Right. And so the lower I go, the worse it is. And one of my friends took me to a free screening of Transformers, oh. which... It's egregious. They didn't call it trans <laughs> four with a four in the middle. The four, MERS. Right? Like just to make this... that was my first sign that this right, movie was yeah. not going to be great. <laughs> uh, but at one point, I was watching, and I was my eyes were barely over the seat, and my friend looks at me, <laughs> and he goes, "Is our friendship going to survive this?" And I looked at right. him and went, "I will never forgive you for right. taking me to this yes. movie." And to this day, occasionally he'll say something, and I'll just look at him and be like, like "You made me go see Transformers." Former. And he's like, "I didn't. I invited you to a free screening, and you went of your own free will." And I was like, "Nope, you're responsible." Right. You're like, "Our friendship survived, <laughs> but you can never pick movies ever again." <laughs> yeah, I think I t- lost it. Transformers is a, actually a very fun franchise for the most part. The comics are great. The, comic, yes. the Transformer comics are like legitimately phenomenal storytelling. They're doing such interesting work in them. Uh, I'm like floored. And I actually enjoyed Bumblebee for the most part. I think that they've sort of course corrected. They went far too into the spectacle of it. Right. But the point where I got truly angry at the movie was they used the exact same VFX shot three times in a row. It's this white boat, like a big yacht that gets uh-huh. lifted up uh, in this swirling miasma of Transformer right, and Decepticon, yeah. whatever. And I was like, no, you don't get to sell me on a spectacle and then cheat me by using the exact same exact. shot multiple times. Like, no, that's not why I was paying you money. <laughs> Guys, come on. You, you, can't, you can't do that. That's cheating. Right. So I felt very fundamentally betrayed by the cheating of the VFX. Yeah. So, so you, sounds like you have, you guys, you, you're already working on this amazing next project. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what is the, what are, what other things are exciting you in the industry or, or in your life or like projects you're working on? Like what's, what's got you fired up about whatever's coming next in addition to not just that film but so most of my experience on paper has been in film so people when you you just looked at my resume or just the things I've done you're like oh she's a film development producer but I actually love tv I deeply love tv I've developed several tv shows one of them got bought very recently so hopefully um they had like the company that bought it uh I developed it for another producer. Uh, they sold it to this company who has an overall deal. So I'm really hoping that it goes for it because it's a it's a great idea that I'm very being I'm like vague booking in real life right now because uh, I can't go into details of it. But right. the potential of the stories that we're being allowed to tell on TV because I love both film and TV. Okay. Film you can tell a very a, a story that has a beginning, middle, and end. It's just very tight and contained, and there's like so much value in that storytelling. Okay. TV you can get deeper you can get darker you can really peel back the layers of a character okay in a way that you can't necessarily do in a feature film because the feature film you know you have up to two hours and that's it right right tv you've got hours potentially hours and hours and hours right so there's a lot of tv that i'm really enjoying um and tv tends to move a little faster than films do in part because films take you know up to two three four years after you shoot them right okay. so film tends to move just a little bit slower culturally speaking than tv does so you have stuff like um i've been watching this close which is okay. on the sundance channel it's uh joshua feldman and shosana stern who are both uh deaf actors oh wow and it's it's a comedy but has as i was watching it I was like, oh, they're all so messed up in ways that I deeply, deeply relate to. And it's just, it's great because they're, um, they're signing through it. It's a combination. So you, you see the signing, you okay. see just representation again of people who are often cut out of um, the visuals and stuff like that. And, but it's so relatable at the same time. Cause I'm like, oh, yep, this is my friend. My <laughs> friend did this. My friend broke up with their boyfriend and then they got back together because he proposed to her and I was sitting there like guys please don't do this this is like at least date again and that's right. that's one of the right. oh it's just it's great um you have you have such good content coming out um I and 
with that, you're also getting this like beautiful boom in comics. Mm -hmm. And so there's some yeah. really just phenomenal and fun comics. I don't really read superhero comics for the most part, unless okay. it's something like I Red Sun, which is the, the Superman story of Superman landed in Russia. And oh, the conversation wow. okay. is really, it's, it's a sort of nature versus nurture kind of a thing. Right. Um, so I, but all I read stuff like The Unwritten, which is kind of a meditation on just stalt theory and like, if enough people believe something, can it be? Is it true? Is it true? Right. What's the nature yeah, yeah, of truth? Yeah, yeah. Like, what does yeah. that mean? Um, bitch Planet. Yes, which so you mentioned good. before. It's so good. Which I'm definitely, yeah. I'm, I've got to check that out. It's a lesbian black exploitation, woman in prison, 50s sci-fi movie in comic book form through like an incredibly intersectional feminist lens. And I, oh, I really love it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so much fun stuff out there. We're like in a real golden age of content creation right. and accessibility. Like one of the, I think honestly, one of the best shows of the last year was Doom Patrol, which was on it. DCU. Okay. It's excellent. It's really? such good writing. It's so fun. It's one of the best comic book uh TV shows I've ever seen. Wow. And like, What's because it it's, on, it's Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol, okay. And um, yeah, it's uh, actually, so anybody who either liked uh, Umbrella Academy or watched yeah. Umbrella Academy and went, man, this is almost good. Yes, yes. Doom Patrol okay. is what you want. Okay. Because it's the both, of them, both of them were written by Gerard Way. The, okay. the comic book resurgences of both of those things were written by Gerard Way. And okay. so they have a very similar uh, ethos to them. But Doom Patrol is just, oh, it's so much better than Umbrella Academy. Like, okay. with, without casting aspersions on anyone who likes it or doesn't right. like it or whatever. It's just, <laughs> the writing on it is great. Brendan right. Fraser's in it, and he's having the time of his life. Like, he's having such a good time and, in it. And, oh, it's great. It's great. Wow. Yeah. So it's, I, don't know, I love hearing, like, all the variety of stuff that you, that you're, like, you get turned on by and excited by. Oh, yeah, I'm a voracious consumer of pop culture and stuff like that. Like I just eat it up literally. And then I'm like, Hey, awesome. please let me, let me tell everyone about all of the good stuff that's out there because it can be very hard to, right. to kind of get through. There's so much out there that it can be hard to find that stuff that really sparkles and shines. Right. Right. So, yeah. Wow. I think we've hit a good stopping point, and now we've got an audience have here an audience for now. film screening. This is screening, very intimidating. So, um, <laughs> so I guess we can wrap it up there. Alex, thank you so much. Yes, like, this, was, this, this was, was awesome. so fun. Was so I feel like fun. we just kind of continued our conversation from last night. Where I know, I, uh, right? Yeah, exactly. Like all of we your can, tattoos, and I felt like very talk more about tattoos and all <laughs> <Absolutely>. that stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for uh, tuning in to our first live stream here on the Call to Create, mm -hmm. and now we're back to the Ben Film screening. So. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. The Call to Create with host Charlie Till is presented by Ghost Village Films and captured at Open Space Event Studio in Bend, Oregon. Subscribe and follow on YouTube, iTunes, and thecalltocreate.com.